If you are a visitor here with us, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here and worshiping with us, encountering Jesus with us. Uh, this is a place where we are obsessed with Jesus. It's funny. Last, uh, last week, I started a story talking about our dog, Bear. And I feel like the Lord wants me to start this message talking about Bear and our cat named Pip. And I, I, I was telling the Lord, I was like, I don't want to be the guy that's just telling dog and cat stories. But I'm going to do it anyway. So we have a dog, golden retriever, named Bear. Like I said last week, the largest golden retriever I have ever met until I met Paul and Julie Rasmussen's golden retriever named Peyton Manning the dog. And yes, that's his name, Peyton Manning the dog. We also have a gray, what kind of cat, babe? <laughs> Just so we're clear, I'm not a cat guy. So that's... It's a gray, fluffy thing. Um, named Pip for Pipsqueak. Because when he was little, he was like this. Looked like a Pipsqueak. Now he's a giant, chungus, large thing uh, who's huge. Eats a lot of food. Anyway... Something about Bear and Pip that you need to know, um, Bear and Pip are always, and I mean always, in the same room within touching, striking distance of Jess, my wife. Always. If Jess goes to the kitchen, they are there. If she goes up to the bedroom, Pip is up on the bed. Bear is as close to Jess's side of the bed as he could put with his face up like this. And I have, a, I have a term that I call these two boys. I call them the sons of obsession. <laughs> and I actually sing a song to them uh, whenever I see them, and it's the sons of obsession song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it now. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not, no. Nope. 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 Um, but it's so funny. Jess will leave the room. And I, I, I've done this multiple times. I will watch them. And they'll be fast asleep. Jess will leave the room, both of them. <laughs> Pip's ear starts doing this thing. You know how a cat ear does that thing where it's like trying to like hone in on everything in the world, you know? Bear. And as soon as they hear mom, they hear, they know she's not around. Oh, she went downstairs. Up and gone. I mean, they are, they are after mom. Wherever mom is, the sons of obsession are there. Because they love their mom. They want to be next to Jess. They want to be with Jess. And Pip's getting his head all up, up into Jess's, like Jess's hand is right here. And Pip is doing this number, just like trying to. But something that these animals, something that these animals uh, do not worry about, they do not worry that their behavior will cause them to lose mom's love for them. Never. In fact, that cat, again, I'm not a cat guy, is the laziest son of a gun I've ever seen in my life. He doesn't do anything good for our family. <laughs> Literally, he doesn't do anything good. Just like weird cat dander. I just, it's nasty. And yet, he never worries. He's not doing anything to provide for the family, and yet he does not worry that Jess will not show unconditional love to him. Wow, that's good. Because he's in our family. So listen, Bear and Pip are not trying to earn our love. They are in our family. Wow. Y'all hear me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. 
Baron Pip, it's so weird. Why am I like doing animal illustrations? It's so weird. Baron Pip are not thinking to themselves, ooh, I should clean up, I should clean up my kitty litter so mom will love me. Absolutely not. They know they are loved because they are loved. Listen, they know they are loved because they are loved and because they have been adopted into this family. Today's message is a kind of a continuation, kind of a part two from last week where we we're looking at being adopted into the triune family. And today is kind of part two, and I've named it that our identity is that we are loved by God the Father. Listen, if you are in Christ, one of your core identities, if you are in Christ, one of your core identities, whether you feel it or not, one of your core identities is that you are loved by God the Father. Let's be honest, in the room, a lot of us, they, we hear that, and because we had bad fathers, that doesn't sound great, right? Like, there's all sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of stuff in our hearts that cause the phrase, I am loved by God the Father, to feel, So we're going to go after the text, Romans 8, verses 14 to 17, and I'm asking that the Lord will reveal to you in the Word your identity, that you are loved by God the Father in Christ. Sound good? So Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, while you're turning there, uh, we're in a series called Identity. The theme verse of this series is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. This is the theme verse for our series. He writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And the big idea of this series, that we're, we're a big summation of what we're trying to say, what I believe the Lord is trying to say to us, the big idea is this. We have a creator and a redeemer who has fashioned us and purchased us by his own blood. We are his, and he defines us, not the world, friends, family, accomplishments, or even ourselves. We are his kids, and knowing what the Father thinks about us will change everything. That's the big idea of the series. So you don't get to define yourself. Your feelings don't get to define yourself. Your job doesn't define you. Your mistakes don't define you. Your successes don't define you. Actually, you have a creator and you have a redeemer, if you are in Christ, that bought you. He tells you who you are, and he tells you how loved you are, whether you feel it or not. Big idea of the series. That's what we're going after. The message is in four parts. Number one, Seven truths about being adopted by a loving father. We'll be looking at uh, Romans 8, 14 to 17. Then a practical sort of reflection. How are we loved by this father? That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through to chapter 4, verse 1. And then we're going to do some practical application from Zephaniah. And then we'll have some ministry time. We'll be praying at the end. Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. I'm going to read the passage. We'll pray. And then we'll go after these seven truths. This is Romans 8, 14 to 17. Paul, he says, 
for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Abba, we give you this time. Father, I acknowledge to you, even in my own heart, realizing that I do not understand your love well enough to even talk about it. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will uh, speak to us this morning. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bear witness with individual spirits that they are children of God here in this place. And Jesus, we honor you. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We tell you that you are our king and you are our brother. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You are the teacher. You are the comforter. You are the challenger. You are the sanctifier, making us like Jesus. And you are the one who bears witness to the truth of the word. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak. And all God's people said, amen. Romans 8, verses 14 to 17, seven truths about being adopted by this loving Father. The first three truths are up there. One, we have guidance. Two, we have love. And three, we have intimacy. It's found in the first couple of verses here. Let's just go through them. First, we have guidance through our life. Verse 14. Some of this will sound a little familiar to you. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. So being adopted into this new family as sons and daughters actually comes with it guidance for your life, that actually you are led in all areas of your life by God. God is actually leading you, directing you, showing you where to go, what to do, how to engage in the world around you. Not only does he want to do that, he wants to partner with you in this leading, okay? So it's not like some sort of, remember, I was thinking about, you know, we have Siri and GPS, and I was remembering, remember those days where you had to like print off the instructions? Remember that? It'd go to the website and like get the direction and print it off? Well, how about, how, do you remember when you couldn't print it off and it was just like a big book? And it didn't tell you which way to go, you had to just figure it out. Rand, Rand McNally, something like that? Anyway. But actually, we have, we have guidance in our life, and not just sort of guidance like do this, turn here, just sort of like clinical, unfeeling, abstract guidance. Actually, a partnership in your life, like at your marketplace job, actually, the Father wants to partner with you in that job. Like raising your kids, actually, the Father wants to partner with you. He wants to raise, the Spirit of God is wanting to raise your kids with you. So it's not, it's not unfeeling leading, right, left, stop. Like some sort of weird Simon says, like Jesus says, right? It's not, not like that. 
It's actually a partnering, like linked up potato sack thing, whatever imagery you want to use, that you're linked up with Jesus, the Spirit of God, and you're actually moving. Does that make sense? One of the great benefits of adoption is we get potato sack time with the Spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe, and we get to go through life like this. We're actually led by God. It's fantastic. Secondly, we have love instead of fear. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back. Somebody say back. back. To fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I mentioned this last week. Original hearers and readers of this letter are immediately thinking about the Exodus. That is what they are thinking about when they see this verse. We're not thinking about it because we don't think about the Exodus all the time, but because of the national history of the people of Israel, Exodus is what they're going to be thinking about. So it's this idea that they're remembering, oh, there was a time where I was enslaved. There was a time where I was enslaved in Egypt, and this mediator came, this individual leader came and, and led me out of this slavery and fear, led me out into a promised place of freedom. So the original hearers and readers are thinking Exodus, and that's a theme throughout the Old and New Covenants. And for us, the illustration is fairly clear, in fact, it's throughout the New Testament, that instead of being enslaved to Egypt now, some of us have never been to Egypt, you can't be enslaved to Egypt, right? But now, in fact, we are enslaved to our own sin nature. Actually, the sin and rebellion inside of me, we are born with it. A sin nature that literally rebels against God all the time. And we are enslaved to behaviors and thought processes that are antithetical to God. And we're actually enslaved, and it causes fear of condemnation. There's that feeling of dread. Some, God's going to get me. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Actually, condemnation is a real thing. Because of human sin, because of our sin, my sin individually and your sin individually, actually, we deserve the wrath of God. It's called punishment and condemnation. The good news of the gospel, of course, is, is that God himself has come into this world and has actually lived righteously, obeying the law for us perfectly all the way and dying on the cross in our place, in your place, for your sin. Actually, God actually took the punishment and condemnation that you deserve. The thing that you're afraid of, of God, actually, Jesus took it on himself. God poured out his wrath for you, towards you, on himself. And he has exhausted it so much that there is none left for you. That's what he says in Romans 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I see Jesus on the cross dying for my sin, as if he committed the very sins actually that I have committed, am currently committing, and will commit later, when I see Jesus dying for me in my place and raised from the dead, and I come to him, you're the boss. You died for me. You lived for me. I will actually experience an exchange with you. Your righteousness for my sin, exchange. Now, he's raised from the dead, and by grace through faith, entering into this relationship with this king who has died for me, created me, and died for me, and raised for me. Actually, now I am free of condemnation. Not because I obeyed, but because he obeyed for me. And I'm free from condemnation, not because... There is punishment for me, but he took all the punishment there was for Jamie's sin. And y'all don't know, I'm a jacked up dude. <laughs> and so are you. That's what the Bible says. 
but by grace through faith in Christ, actually, Jesus, the Bible says, became sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God and free from condemnation. So when you enter in, I say, Jesus, you're the boss. I'm coming to you now. I'm living life with you. I'm with you. Whatever you do, I'm with you, Jesus. We're actually free from condemnation. But here's the, here's the thing. How many of us then disobey God and come back to slavery and fear? Because you think, actually, God is mad at you and is getting ready to punish you. Does that make sense what I'm saying right now? I'm not talking about God being grieved or relationship being hurt in some way. No, no, I'm talking about condemnation. Fear and condemnation are, are tied together. So if I disobey God, and then I, all of a sudden I feel condemnation that he's actually going to get me, I don't understand the gospel then in that moment. So it says, we're, we're given a spirit not to go back to slavery and fear, but actually we have spirit of adoption, that we are accepted, loved, and entered into this divine family, not based of our, off of our behavior, but actually faith in Christ. We get love instead of fear. 1 John 4, 17 to 18. John writes this. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we just, read the, we just read the Bible and we don't actually think about it. As he is, that's Jesus, as he is, so also are we in this world. And he continues, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So it's so important that we see this. If I am in Christ it does not mean that I am never going to sin again because I have patterns, sinful patterns and behaviors in my life that I commit sin. When I commit this sin, the Bible says that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So this moment, if I am in Christ and I sin against God, actually, in this moment, there is, there is a sense of, 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 uh, of dislocation relationally with God but it's not a, an issue of condemnation, but actually conviction for my sin. We talked about this two weeks ago. I don't go all into it. I'm experiencing conviction for my sin, which is based off of relational hurt rather than fear of punishment. Does that make sense for them? Terry Virgo uh, wrote it this way. Believers don't live by an objective moral law or list of rules. Rather, we're called to experience a relationship with a holy God. Our goal is to please him, to enjoy his smile, to draw on his grace, to imitate his holiness, and to accept his discipline because we are his children. So it's very different to obey God trying to get his love versus obeying God because we have been loved. So, so what motivates me to obey the law? Is it the Spirit of God actually giving me the capacity to do it and the overwhelming love of God that I say, yes, I would gladly obey this law? Or am I sitting here and thinking, if I don't obey, he's going to get me? Right? And then if I didn't obey, he's really going to get me. Because this person, even if they obey, still feels condemnation because it has not been covered in Christ. Okay, I got I to move on. 
Third, intimacy. Verse 15 again. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So now we have not this spirit of slavery to fear, but actually this spirit of adoption. The spirit of God actually comes to dwell within us, and now we are adopted into this triune family, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into this family, and we are now sons and daughters in this triune family. But it's not just like some weird adoption where the parents are like, ugh, I can't stand you. Right? You know what I'm saying? That feeling of, uh, you know, sometimes in families, you have a situation where you have natural-born kids and then adopted kids. You have this experience where adopted kids maybe in some, in some ways might feel lesser than. But in this, actually, we are fully loved, fully brought into divine, perfect, eternal love, adopted as sons and daughters. Not just sort of like, ugh, I guess I'll adopt you, but actually the Spirit of God actually comes within us and allows us, gives us a level of intimacy with God whereby we would call him not holy God up there that I'm super scared of, but actually we would call him Abba and Father. Up until this point, <laughs> up until Jesus said to his disciples, and they said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Up until that point, no one would have ever thought to say, you know, this is how we should pray, Father. It would have been, no, 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 God. Actually, we're going to come up with another word for God because the, word, the name for God is actually so holy, we can't even say that name, so we're going to come up with another name to actually call God, right? Can you see the, the distance there? He's so holy, we've got to come up with another name that's not his name, to not say his name and then make him mad. So much so now that Jesus goes, hey, how about this? How about just call him Abba? There is a level of intimacy there. We talked about this last week. Listen, there's been a lot of theologians that just they, un, uncomfortable, uncomfortable with, with hearing the word Abba, and then people say things like, well, it means dad or papa. And many theologians, people who are like serious about the word, by the way, I'm one of those, I'm serious about the word. I've actually walked in that for a long time. But then I've had multiple experiences in my life, including going to Israel, where you see kids running, running around, and you hear them saying, Appa, 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 Appa. It's not holy, holy, holy dad, holy, holy father. It's Appa, Appa, Appa. When Moran was here, I mentioned this last week, when Moran was here speaking, went to lunch with him and his kiddos. I'm at El Genete, right here on Red Bank, right? Slamming guac and salsa, right? That's how I, I, mean, I love Mexican food. When you're from Texas, I mean, you just, you know, it's like pacifier and salsa, you know. Um, sorry, it's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Anyway. Okay. Um, his oldest son, multiple times I heard him at dinner, Abba. And then he'd ask his question, Abba. Listen, I know there's some crusty theologians that don't like talking about Abba as Papa or Dad, but in real terms, this Aramaic word means Dad. That's what it means. In usage, that's what it means. Kids look at their fathers, their dads, and they say, Abba. 
the level of intimacy that we are invited into and then given the spirit to actually experience that level of intimacy is seeing the creator of the universe as Abba, as dad. Unbelievable. Last four truths of these seven are this. We have a triune family, we have security, we have brothers and sisters, and we have an inheritance. I'm going to do this quick. One, or four of these seven, is we have a triune family. Look at verse 15 again. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see the Trinity in this passage. This is one of the Trinitarian passages. All of Romans 8, actually, is a Trinitarian passage. So it's discussing the interplay between us and the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all fully God, not three gods, but one singular unified God, but three individual, unique, fully 100% God which is mystery, of course. So Father, Son, and Spirit. And the discussion is, is actually we come into this family, this family of love and eternal, pre-eternal divine love and fellowship. We enter into it. I just want to make sure we're real clear on this. That we actually are adopted into a family that has always been in pre-eternal, divine, perfect, infinite love submission, mutual yieldedness, and beauty, and we get to into that. It is a pre-existent family from eternity past that has always experienced divine love in and of himself, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and we get to into that. Just swirling love. We get that. That's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. John 14. John 14. John 17. Just read these passages. These are Trinitarian passages. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. You will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. There's all this, like, intimate getting into each other stuff. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, the Father and me, the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. This is the eternal creator of the universe. Like, we want to get all up in you. I want to make our home with you. I want to get in you. Oh, God's so distant. No, he's not. Actually, home. Abba, Jesus, home. That's what he said. If I was make, I wouldn't make that up because it's weird. (laughs) I'm just telling what the Bible says. The Father and the Son, pre-eternal, eternity past, loving one another. They want to make their home in you by grace through faith in Christ. See, mercy is I've sinned against this holy God, and mercy is not getting what I deserve. So instead of getting this eternal punishment, mercy is I just come back to baseline, as if I didn't commit any of that sin, right? Grace is now I'm adopted into this loving family that just accepts me. So mercy, grace. Okay. Oh, my gosh. 
The word is so good. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love, listen to me. Listen to the word. Don't listen to me. Listen to the word. God's love has been poured into our hearts in the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts. This is standard Trinitarian theology. The love of the Father for the Son from eternity past. The Father has always delighted and loved the Son. And the Son has always, from eternity past, loved and delighted in the Father. Standard Trinitarian theology, the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father is the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying anything weird. That's standard Trinitarian theology. Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The love between is the Spirit. So when they say, we're going to take that love and pour it into your heart, you get the love of the Father, the eternal Father for the eternal Son in your heart. Listen, you get caught in a triune divine crossfire of love. You get caught in it. The eternal love of the Father for the Son from eternity past, you're getting caught in it. You are in it. The, lo- the, love is, de- the Father is delighting in the Son. He can't stop it. And you're in the middle of it just getting jammed. And the Son is loving the Father from eternity past. You are caught in a crossfire of love. I'm stressing this because we believe these passages, but we don't believe these passages. We say them, we sing them, we don't live them. That's why I am stressing this to you. Whether you feel it or not, if you are in Christ, you are caught in a divine, pre-eternal, perfect, infinite love crossfire between the Father and the Son. Okay. Trinity friendly fire, man. (laughs) Trinity friendly fire. And you get caught into it. And by the way, your obedience to this God doesn't get you any more of it because it's already being exhausted into you. (laughs) Like, like, if you've come to Christ by grace through faith. Your obedience won't get any more of his love. You can't earn more of God's love. He has shown it already to you in Christ. If you you give to the poor, God bless you. I'm so grateful. It won't get you an inch of more of love or approval from God. And if you disobey God and you disobey his word and you are in Christ, you're not losing his love somehow. Is there relational separation? Absolutely. Should we confess our sin? Yes. And he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I, I almost thought about naming this entire series, Identity, It's Not About You. Because actually, your Christian walk is not about you. It's about the Father, Son, and Spirit for you, in you, within you, and partnering with you. Your obedience to God does not earn you a single thing. You're not getting more of his love. You're already caught in this Trinity-friendly fire, crossfire thing. Okay, there's more to say, but we're going to keep going. Number five, eternal witness of security. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. <laughs> In uh, Roman adoptions, Jewish adoptions are actually not very, uh, 
not very commonplace. So when Paul's writing this, again, the original readers and hearers are thinking Roman adoption. They're not thinking Jewish. Jewish adoption is not a thing. So thinking Roman adoption. And in a Roman adoption, before the court, you actually had to have a witness to this ceremony of adoption that's happening in a legal sense. Does that make sense? So the, the witness that's witnessing this interaction whereby a father is accepting someone who's not their natural-born son or daughter into their family, you need, a thir- you need a witness over here that's watching this. And Paul says you have a witness, and it is, in fact, the third member of the Trinity, God himself, the Spirit, is actually bearing witness. Yep, that happened. But this witness is actually inside of us, actually giving us capacity and security that we are, in fact, children of God. So I want to encourage you, this security, this witness of security is such an important thing because orphans walk around thinking, oh man, what if I mess up? My adopted dad will kick me out. He'll unadopt me. But when you've been adopted by an eternal family (laughs) that has been loving from all eternity past, and it will continue to love for eternity future. And I enter into this space by grace through faith. Actually, I am secure now. This river of divine, perfect love is flowing. And actually, I'm, I'm caught into this thing. And I know there is teaching that actually what you need to do is you need to continue to obey. You need to, you need to continue to obey. If, if you backslide, actually, you could step out. The problem with that, of course, is if my salvation is dependent on my behavior, I will never be secure. Listen to me. If I'm dependent on my obedience to the Father, I will never feel secure. I know my mind and heart enough. You're telling me for the next 40 years if Jesus re- returns, I can't sin or I'm out of this family. Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. I'm basically saying, I'm God. I will save myself. That is a humanistic thought. I don't trust Jesus enough. So it's Jesus on the cross. Yes and amen. And I better obey. So I need Jesus' righteousness plus a little bit of mine dashed in. No, actually, no. You need Jesus' righteousness. And you need to stick with this Jesus. I'm with you. Eternal love. It's, it's called security, it is an internal witness. Your security is based on the love of the Trinity, not on your performance. Let me say it again. Your security is based on the righteousness of God and the love of the Trinity, not your performance. That's orphan. That's not adopted sons and daughters. Number six, we get adopted into a whole family, not just a triune family, now we got bros and sisters. <laughs> we actually get adopted into a human family now. This entire family gets adopted, and now I look around, I'm like, whoa, look at all these people. These people are there too in this triune crossfire. We get brothers and sisters. Second half of verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, do you see the plural there? You see, it's plural, right? I just want to make sure it's plural. It's not, it's not individual. <laughs> the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we, 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 we are children of God. Now, now I'm, I'm in a family of we's. 
adopted into this family. And Jesus will use this kind of language about unity from John 17. He says, I'm praying, Father, not for these only, his disciples in his immediate vicinity. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, that they, he's talking about us. Jesus was praying for us. Those who will believe, he's talking about us. He said, I'm praying, Father, that they will be one. And then he qualifies it. Just wait. It gets better. That they will be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Triune. So that, why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I've told this story. Tozer would give an illustration. He would say, listen, if you go to 100 pianos and you, all, and you try to tune every single one of these pianos all to each other, it's going to be a nightmare. Right? I've got to tune this one. I've got to get this other one over here. And we're going to tune it, tune it, tune it. Now we get the third one, tune it, tune it. Get to 100 of them and you're trying to all tune all 100 says the best thing is actually you just get a, a constant, which is a tuning fork. There's a, there's a constant. And as all 100 pianos are tuned to one constant, they're actually more unified than they would be if they were tuned to each other. That's what Tozer says. So listen, that's why I'm saying we're going to be obsessed with Jesus. Instead of being obsessed with unity, racial reconciliation, which, by the way, are important things, instead of being obsessed with symptoms, be obsessed with the one who brings unity. So instead of being like, we got to do this, I 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 got to make sure these people are like this, this. No, actually, if, you're, if we're all obsessed with Jesus, we will actually walk closer and closer to each other because we are focused not on ourselves. Look at this skin color. Look at this. Look at my history. Look at our, church, our church's history, our nation's history, all of that. How about look at Jesus and find out what unity looks like? That's what he said in the Word. I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a biblical statement. That's all I'm saying. So if we are obsessed with Jesus, you get unity, you get reconciliation, you get mercy, you get grace, you get justice. All of these things are found in Jesus. So why don't we be sons and daughters of obsession? You know that because you're asleep and all of a sudden, where'd Jesus go? Oh, oh, Jesus went over there? Fine. Because I really want to be with Jesus. I don't really care about anything else. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I'm here at this church is not because I'm paid to serve here. I'm here because Jesus is here. Amen. I've told people, this is the first time in, in my entire church serving history for over 20 years, this is the first church that I would be a part of if I wasn't on staff. Amen. As I've served in churches for over 20 years, and the majority of those churches, I would not attend there if I wasn't on staff. If I, if I lived in Cincinnati and was not paid, this would be exactly where I am because the presence of Jesus is so strong and there is an obsession growing and a hunger growing yeah. for Jesus. Yeah. Okay, there's more, but we're going to keep going. Mm. What, what time is it? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Man. Okay, okay, okay. She said, don't worry about it. 
Uh, it's hard to get the Baptist out of the boy, I can tell you that right now. All right, all right, all right, all right. Because here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to talk about suffering. Because you do know that's a part of being adopted. Because we're going to go right into this passage on suffering. You saw it at the end of verse 17. Some of y'all are like, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about that. Well, we're going to talk about that. Because we're going to talk through the text. That's what we're going to talk about. Because actually, suffering, discipline. Oh, okay, I can't preach it. I can't preach it. That's the book of Hebrews. We'll get to it next week. We'll get to it next week. Let's do this. Let me finish with how are we loved by the Father. I'm going to say one thing. I'm just praying that the Lord will speak to you. Matthew chapter 3. Father, help him. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 1. Just want you to read the text. Let's read it together. Matthew writes this. So this is prior to the ministry of Jesus, just prior to the temptation of Jesus. Jesus hasn't called a single disciple to himself. Jesus hadn't done a lick of anything yet. He did serve as a carpenter, so I'm not trying to hate on that. But he has not done any ministry at all in any way. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We're, we're getting a peek into this pre-eternal delight of the Father for the Son. He sees his boy. The Spirit of God rests on him. And he looks at his boy and says, that's my, that's my guy. And my delight, my delight is towards him. I, I, I am, I'm crazy about him. This is eternal, pre-eternal, divine, infinite delight. Father says, I'm all about my boy. <laughs> and when we are in Christ, the same is true of you. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. No water into wine, no healing of Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead, no disciples, no ministry. He hadn't done what he was called to do, but the Father was delighting in the Son. And, and we jump into this, and now, by grace through faith in Christ, the Father, God the Father, looks at us and delights in us. Now you may say, well, Jamie, that feels a little bit dramatic. It feels a little bit over the top. I'm just, the Bible says, as he was, so also are we. Just because it's hard to understand or seems unbelievable does not mean that it is not true in the word. Let me, some of you are like, I still don't believe it. Okay, let me just read again John 17, 23. He's saying to the Father, I am in them, and you, Father, are in me, that they may be perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you, Father, sent me, and you have loved them even as you loved me. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said to the Father, I want to be in such a way that the world sees that the love that you have for me will actually, they will see that you love them the way you loved me. That's what it says. Again, I wouldn't make that up. Before you do anything the rest of today, if you are in faith in Christ, the Father is crazy about you. His delight is over you. But Jamie, I I haven't done anything yet. Neither did Jesus. The Father loves Jesus for who he is, not what he does. The Father loved Jesus not for what he did for him, but for who he is. And if we're in him, the Father is not loving me more for what I do. He is loving me for who I am in Christ. The Father, listen, I'm, I'm saying it this way to offend all the religiousness. The Father is crazy about you in Christ. The Father has your picture in his wallet. Showing angels, that's my boy, that's my girl. Have you, hey, hey, Michael, Michael. Gabriel, come here, come here, come here. Have you seen my girl? Hey, 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 angel, whatever you are, I can't even remember your name. That's not, that's not true. That's not theologically, that's not, that's not theologically true. I did not say it, forgive me. You, you big guy, okay, right here. Right here, you see him? Woo! Oh, love him. Love him. He wakes up in the morning. I'm like, mm, I want to do today with this boy. You say, Jamie, I don't feel it. Here's the deal. We don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And faith comes by hearing the word. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's what I'm telling you. If you don't feel it, uh, uh, we don't walk by feelings. The Bible says we walk by faith. You're going to believe the Bible or not? Here's what happens. If I don't feel loved, I will ask the Holy Spirit to actually remind me again. Actually, sometimes I ask for feelings, but I'm asking to be reminded again of good news, reminded again of the word. And then even if I don't feel loved, I'm saying to myself, actually, the Father, because I am in Christ, the Father delights in me right now. I don't know if you've noticed, actually, but my preaching has actually changed over the last couple weeks. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's actually changed. And you know what's happening It's because I had an initial, for a long time, I've had an initial breakthrough where I'm free of y'all's approval, and that's been great. That's been really, really good. I love y'all, but I don't need you to love this message. It goes in waves, so I'm not saying it's perfect, but in general, I've reached a level of breakthrough. Over the last several weeks, I have realized, actually, actually, before I preach a sermon, the Father is perfectly delighting in me. And actually, actually, he's actually been telling me, This sermon is awesome. I'm already delighting in you before I preach it. So when I come to preach, actually, I don't have to prove myself to you or the creator of the universe. He is delighting in me now before I preach. Are y'all hearing me right now? And listen, this isn't about preaching. In whatever workplace you are in, whatever you're putting your hand to do, I want to tell you, you do not have to get other people's approval or God's approval. Actually, he delights in you in Christ. So put your hand to it and walk as a delighted son and daughter rather than earning delight. Are y'all hearing me? This will set you free. If you figure it out, it will set you free. My, My preaching has got infinitely better because I'm not trying to prove to God that this is a good sermon. I'm not trying to prove to you or God because he already told me this is going to be awesome. Go get it. He actually told me that. He told me that three weeks ago. Get it. He said, go get it. I said, okay. 
See, this is what happens. If you walk in freedom, I'm talking about gospel freedom. If you walk in gospel freedom, what you put your hand to will have so much kingdom life on it that people around you will go, huh, that's kind of cool. What I'm, not, what I'm doing is actually, this is not TED Talk worthy. Like this is not a lot of rhetorical skill, but what you're experiencing is freedom and kingdom all over you. That's what you're experiencing. You're not actually experiencing a message. You're experiencing the freedom of the gospel of Jesus all over you. What in the world? All right. I'm going to invite Mary to come on up. Mary's going to play. We're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to stand. freedom, I'm going to invite you to just put your hands out like this, just as a posture of, Father, I want, I want freedom. I want to actually know in my heart, like Ephesians, like Paul prayed over the Ephesians church, that they would know the love of God, the height and length and breadth and depth. If you're saying, I want to know this love experientially, I want to know it, I invite you to just put your hands out. You're not putting your hands out to me, you're putting it out to the Father. And I want to read one passage over you, and then I'm going to pray. This is true of you if you are in Christ. Zephaniah 3.17 says, Fear not. Fear not, sweet one. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Father, I invite you to come now ask for brothers and sisters, ask for myself that we would in fact experience the Father singing in glad delight over his kids. Father, come.
Father, that your voice, I ask, Father, that your voice would melt the hurts and wounds of earthly fathers and mothers who have hurt us. Sing, Abba, sing. Spirit, I ask that you would bear witness to these. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will bear witness in their minds and in their hearts that they are children of the Most High by grace through faith in Christ. Bear witness, Holy Spirit. you right now as you're being dismissed I'm blessing you right now the father says this be not afraid be not afraid for I have redeemed you be not afraid for I have called you by name be not afraid for you are mine be not afraid for you are precious in my sight and I love you be not afraid for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. Be not afraid, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. And all God's people said, Amen.